Hey, everybody. It is Friday, February 23rd. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu, back again. And I am Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. You're back, but you're not back, Moshe. Where in the world is Moshe Wanunu? Where are you? <laughs> I'm coming to you from Cincinnati, Ohio, as we tape this, Jill. It's been uh, a whirlwind couple of weeks. As we mentioned earlier in the week, was in Arizona uh, speaking to a conference about the state of politics, state of the media. Uh, I am here in Ohio starting a new series we're doing, uh, which we will bring you in the coming weeks and months, going inside interesting places. This edition, Procter & Gamble headquarters. The company that has brands like Tide and Ivory, Olay, and you know a lot of the many Cascade, Dawn, etc. Uh, we're going inside their lab on how they create uh, the various formulas and their interesting innovations. So look out for more from here in Cincinnati uh, on the Instagram feed and uh, podcast editions coming up. Though, Jill, I, I have seen a lot of airports this week. <laughs> so ju- just to briefly recap, Houston, Israel, briefly back in New York, Arizona, and now Cincinnati. With a stop back in New York in between there as well. As I yes. texted you earlier, are you functioning? Like, are your body parts still attached? <laughs> Do you feel okay? <laughs> honestly, Jill, honestly, I feel great. But I will say this, the AT&T outage, which we'll tell you more about in this podcast, was the thing that was most annoying me because it's annoying to not have cell phone service. But it is very annoying not to have cell phone service when you're uh, traveling. Especially, Mosh, if you wanted to check out a certain New York Times feature on Mo News. Yeah, it turns out the good folks at the New York Times have recognized what many of you guys have known for a while in the Mo News community, that there are new ways of getting your news, including on Instagram. And so we were featured uh, in the New York Times, in case you missed it, uh, in their Thursday edition, alongside uh, a couple other uh, folks, the few, the proud, the news influencers <laughs> trying to bring you good news and information <laughs> on social media amid all the mis and disinformation. Uh, Jill, what was very cool is uh, you opened the New York Times app, scrolled down a little bit, and lo and behold, there was a photo of us taping this podcast. It was especially exciting given that the reporter had thought that perhaps the article wouldn't be out until March. So it came as a total surprise to me. Breaking news, <laughs> Mo News. Uh, but it was is very cool. We've got an incredible reaction from folks. And uh, by the way, we should say, without everyone who listens to this podcast, uh, without you spreading the word, telling your friends and family about it, that story would not be written. But we're very proud of what we're building here, of reaching new audiences, reaching you where you want to get the news in a way that you want to have a conversation about it and uh, cut out the noise and bring you just the facts. And so that's what we're trying to do. And it was uh, very cool to be printed in the newspaper that declares that they have all the news that is fit to print. We made it, Mosh. We made it. That's it, folks. This is the last edition <laughs> of the podcast. This is this is pretty much the goal. <laughs> all right, let's get to some headlines here. As you were mentioning, AT&T's network suffered widespread outages across the country Thursday with cellular service and internet down. We'll have the latest on what happened. That FBI informant who has been charged with making up lies about the Bidens that fed the impeachment effort has been rearrested. More fallout for IVF families from that Alabama Supreme Court decision. New numbers on food prices and what percentage of people's paychecks is going to groceries. 
do we really want to get me started? In politics, South Carolina is set to hold its Republican primary this weekend. Why this race is effectively over, even though four states have voted. Here's something we haven't said in a while. U.S. home sales are rebounding. How does a four-day work week sound? Some companies in the U.K. tried it. We'll tell you how it went. And remember when Soho House was the place to be? Apparently, times have changed, at least in one city, and some members say the vibe is off. Plus, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend, what we are watching, reading, and eating. All right, we're going to start with a story that probably impacted a number of you and was also extremely frustrating, I know, for Mosh on Thursday morning. Jill, it's interesting. My wife is Verizon. I'm AT&T. I always thought it was a strategic move for the scenario where one of us would go down. And it turned out to be the case yesterday. You know, somebody messaged me on Instagram and actually said something similar. She said she was traveling and she couldn't get her boarding pass. And it made her realize we need paper boarding passes again. Jill, it made me realize that, you know, I couldn't navigate to the airport and figure out when I would get there in time. And also sometimes the app updates, right, and gives you your new gate change or a delay, you know. So so that's concerning. And by the way, even more concerning it led to 911 outages in some places. Right. So there were one and a half million reports of outages, mainly among AT&T customers on everything from their home phone to their internet and mobile phone services, including in cities like Houston, Chicago, Miami, and New York. Even, as you mentioned, 911 calls were impacted in some cases. It all started at about 3 a.m. Eastern time, and the reported outages slowed down at around 9 a.m. Eastern. Jill was very intermittent. I'll speak from my personal experience. It was out till about 8 a.m. Eastern. I had it back, and then it was gone again for a few hours till about noonish for me. So throughout the day, about half of users said that they were still having issues, including a third who said they had no signal at all. Some Verizon and T-Mobile customers also reported issues, but Verizon says that its network is operating normally. The problem could be that customers were calling or texting people that had another carrier, hint, hint, AT&T. Right. If you went to this website, downdetector.com, which I suggest you go to if you're ever dealing with issues, you can say you're having issues and it asks for your carrier. And it seems the people who had those issues for other carriers were just trying to message people at AT AT&T. As for what caused it, AT AT&T said late on Thursday that it was caused by a, quote, incorrect process while expanding the wireless network. This is based on their initial review. They say that the outage was caused by the application and execution of an incorrect process, not a cyber attack. They continue their assessment, they say, and continue to investigate it. The U.S. government is investigating it as well. This is sort of what we suspected typically, and this is something we heard from some members of the Mo News community who work in the wireless space who work in infrastructure, that typically, while we always think about nefarious actors or potential cyber attack, that typically it's someone doing the wrong software update, hitting the wrong button, hitting a line uh, when it comes to this sort of thing. So not many specifics here when it comes to AT&T. Sort of the responses have been delayed throughout the day, pretty vague right now. But what we do get from them Uh, And based on the uh, initial look by the government so far, uh, officials that are speaking out is, again, does not appear to be a cyber attack, but something went wrong while, quote, expanding their network. So uh, hopefully we'll learn more in the coming days, uh, including how they plan to prevent this sort of thing from happening in the future. It was certainly frustrating for a number of people and uh, extremely concerning, especially when it comes to those 911 outages. As for cyber attacks, 
I think everyone is on high alert for that. Uh, we recently heard the FBI director uh, talk about how China right now is looking to disrupt the daily lives of Americans, that they are looking at attacks on electrical grid or transportation systems. The issue is there is also an incentive for China not to do that because the U.S. can do the same thing to China. And there you're playing with fire of sorts uh, if you decide to engage in an attack of that sort. That's, a, that's an act of war. So U.S. government officials are skeptical that that's how China would attack the U.S. is by bringing down part of the AT&T system for a couple hours on a Thursday, given the consequences of that, if they're able to link that to a China. Oh, no, Mosh, they knew you were heading to Cincinnati, <laughs> needed that phone and needed your info. They're like, we cannot have Mo News post any Instagram stories between 8.45 a.m. Listen, I mean, you could say that sometimes when you conduct attacks, you testing the system of sort. We will wait to hear an explanation from AT&T on this. And we've seen this in the past. Uh, T-Mobile uh, had a major outage a couple of years ago. And it does lead to larger questions within companies and within families, uh, for that matter, about creating redundancy and whether you should diversify your cell phone plans for scenarios like this and also have a plan. When all your phones go to SOS, what are you doing? Should you get that landline in your house as a backup? Should you have a, a card printed out with uh, phone numbers of people? Should you have a place to gather if cell phones go down for a prolonged period? Yes, yes, and yes, people will tell you. Government experts will tell you. Redundancy experts will tell you. So just something to keep in mind, because I didn't think about it until I walked out my building on Thursday morning and realized that actually I was having a signal in my apartment off of Wi-Fi. And outside, I had SOS on my phone and immediately was trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean for my day, depending on how long this goes and what else could happen? You know, we work in news, so you often think about worst case scenarios. Is this the first prelude to a larger issue or larger attack or some sort of cyber or solar thing? So anyways, just something to keep in mind, everybody, as you go into the weekend is to create family emergency plans uh, and think about these things, especially given what we learned uh, on Thursday. Okay, now to the latest about that bombshell case of the former FBI informant slash star GOP impeachment witness. We told you yesterday about how Alexander Smirnov was charged with lying to the FBI about the Bidens and potentially pushing Russian government propaganda. Well, Smirnov was rearrested yesterday after he was deemed a flight risk. So let's back up here. He was first arrested last week on charges of lying to the Bureau about the Biden's alleged business dealings with the Ukrainian energy company. Smirnoff was then released by a Nevada judge earlier this week, but a California judge ordered him arrested again on Thursday after federal prosecutors argued that he was a flight risk and could leave the country. Smirnov is, quote, actively peddling new lies that could impact U.S. elections. That is, according to federal prosecutors. They were trying to appeal to a judge to keep him behind bars ahead of trial. As I mentioned yesterday, the court filing revealed that this former FBI informant behind that discredited claim about the Bidens is allegedly linked to Russian intelligence. The document outlines extensive meetings between Smirnov and figures from the Russian intelligence world. Prosecutors say that during an interview after he had been taken into custody last week, he admitted that officials associated with Russian intelligence were involved in propagating some of his information. His lies to the FBI about a phony multi-million dollar scheme involving the Bidens and the Ukrainian energy company Burisma have been a key part of the Republican effort to impeach Biden. 
Yeah, so as for why he's deemed a flight risk here and why they've rearrested him, he has access to $6 million, has dual citizenship in the U.S. and Israel, and has multiple contacts in the international intelligence world, including with Russian intelligence, which would allow him to resettle in multiple countries. A reminder here, his key allegation was uh, the one he first started telling back in 2020, Smirnov telling the FBI that an oligarch owner of a Ukrainian energy company, Burisma, had arranged to pay $5 million bribes each to President Biden and Hunter Biden. It is the centerpiece of the effort to impeach President Biden, but Republicans never bothered to verify the allegation, and they're on the defensive about it right now. Republican members who are still pushing uh, for impeaching President Biden said that their allegations are not reliant upon Smirnoff. The House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan is arguing that Smirnoff's revelations don't change the fact that Hunter Biden still was paid by Burisma, the company, uh, to sit on their board, and that at the same time, uh, in the same years, then-Vice President Biden helped get a Ukrainian prosecutor fired that was bothering the company, that was investing in the company. The issue is, Jill, that without this allegation of a bribe paid to then-VP Biden and Hunter, it's all very circumstantial evidence, coincidental evidence. Uh, Keep in mind, the U.S. was among many countries, including most of Europe at that time, calling for the firing of this prosecutor who was widely seen as corrupt. And uh, there's very little evidence of linkage between Burisma, and that's where the Smirnoff allegation was key here. So now that this money payment is gone, there are even some Republicans who are saying, I don't think we have the stuff anymore. A lot was made of this. You have Ken Buck. He's a Republican from Colorado who's disappointed in his fellow Republicans. He said that they had a disclaimer at the time that many Republicans ignored. He says, this is Buck, a Republican, saying, we were warned at the time that the document we received of his testimony had credibility that was not known. But no one bothered to look into it. They love the allegation so much because it reinforced their opinion of the Bidens that they just followed up with it and reinforced it and stressed it in press conferences and in media interviews without ensuring that it was actually fact-based. So uh, you see already some Republicans on the edge here saying, we don't have the goods, especially in the fallout of Smirnoff here. And keep in mind, House Republicans right now only have a two-seat majority. Uh, meaning they can only lose two Republicans uh, to get anything through. So the fact that you already have one Republican, I'm quoting here, uh, who's like, we don't have it, might really impede or, frankly, end the impeachment effort. At the same time, you have Democrats saying, just end the impeachment effort at this point. Your star witness is gone. He's now going to be going to jail for lying to the FBI. Uh, You don't have the goods and the what is now seven, eight year investigation into the Bidens. All right. Plenty of news coming up. But for now, we want to thank a few of our sponsors. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that is you, make 2024 the year that you finally check it off that list with Babbel. Babbel, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L, is a science-backed language learning app that actually works. They have quick 10-minute lessons handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Its tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and they are rooted in real-life situations delivered with conversation-based teaching. So you're really ready to practice what you have learned in the real world. Alors, Gilles, uh, comment est-on français? (laughs) Moshe, très bien. Oh, (laughs) glad to hear, Jill. Yeah, Moshe, I'm not quite ready to do the podcast in French yet, 
but I, okay. <laughs> I am able to perhaps <laughs> give a line here or there. Okay, great. But that's what Babbel is all about. They want to make it easy to learn how to do things that you actually would need to do, like order food, ask for directions, speak to shops without having to consult language apps while on vacation. So here is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, you could get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription but only for our listeners at babble.com slash monews. Again, 50% off at babble.com slash monews, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S. Some rules and restrictions may apply. And thanks to our next sponsor this week, Factor Meals. We're definitely pressed for time in our house. Still want to eat healthy and nutritious. That's why we've been very excited, both in Jill's house and in my house, about Factor joining us here on the Mo News Pod. It is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. They offer breakfast, lunch, dinner, chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. They go straight in your fridge. They are not frozen meals like the grocery store, but readily prepared, straight in your fridge, and uh, good for a few days there. Jill, we've been loving a number of the meals as well as the juices. It does allow you to skip the extra trip to the grocery store, the chopping, the prepping, the preparing, but you still get the flavor and the nutritional quality that you want. There's more than 35 weekly meals available. It's flexible. You can choose as little or as many meals as you want a week. Uh, You can pause, reschedule deliveries. And so a lot of options here with Factor uh, and some really delicious meals. You can head to factormeals.com slash monews50 to use the code monews50 and get 50% off. That is factor, F-A-C-T-O-R, meals, M-E-A-L-S, dot com slash monews50 to get 50% off. And Mosh, of course, on this podcast, we're always talking about health trends and food trends, and it can be very difficult to get all of your nutrients. Well, one way to get all the important ones is Athletic Greens AG1 powder. I've been using it for months. It is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It is easy and quick and lets you get on with your day knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Visit drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription. Or if you prefer, you could just try it one time for just a month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. All right, time now for the speed read from the Washington Post. More fallout from the Alabama Supreme Court's decision, which said that embryos are children and therefore eligible to be claimed in a wrongful death suit. At least three of the state's eight IVF clinics, including the University of Alabama at Birmingham's IVF division and Alabama Fertility, said that they are pausing some parts of IVF treatment. They canceled appointments with patients as they navigated a court decision that has sent shockwaves through the world of reproductive medicine. The Washington Post contacted several other clinics in Alabama but could not confirm which IVF services they are providing. The feelings of anxiety were palpable when several of the state's fertility doctors and legal experts convened a Zoom call earlier this week on Tuesday night to discuss the ramifications of last week's seismic ruling by the Alabama Supreme Court. Details of the call obtained by the Post offer a view into how the lives and livelihoods of those pursuing 
or practicing assisted reproductive medicine in Alabama have been plunged into chaos since the court's Friday ruling. Many in Alabama now fear that IVF will be permanently inaccessible or at the very least severely limited because of the financial and physical costs to patients and civil or criminal liability for providers. Yeah, there were a number of warnings about this uh, in recent months in various legal filings. The Medical Association of Alabama had filed a brief in this case. They're now saying the significance of this decision impacts all state residents and will likely lead to fewer babies, children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, and cousins as fertility options become limited for those who want to have a family. Uh, Many clinics very concerned about the legal implications here of uh, determining that a frozen embryo equals a baby equals a human, and what it means for storage, what it means for donating those embryos, what it means for potentially destroying those embryos. One fertility expert in the state uh, described the call earlier this week as somber, but optimistic for a solution. But it's really heartbreaking for a lot of families, Jill, uh, who are going through the process right now, or were set or scheduled to have their embryo transfers within days or within hours of this decision to tell them that effectively, the pause is on right now. So they are canceling embryo transfers, but they are continuing with other procedures, including egg retrievals. Uh, That is the legal guidance that many of these clinics have gotten. Uh, Still uh, heartbreaking. They're describing patients crying, upset. You know, this is family planning. This is sometimes years in the making. And to have this decision come at an unanticipated time like this with no real answers as to what happens next, what happens to those embryos, or when these families can proceed again, has put a lot of families uh, hanging in the balance here. I have a lot of friends who have gone through this process in terms of fertilizing an embryo, and it is emotional without this added stuff. It's it's exhausting. It's right. expensive. So now to add this new layer of, of potential legal issues, I, I cannot imagine what they're going through. Jill, right now this case is isolated to Alabama. It had to do with the state law there. But there have been these personhood amendments uh, that have been put into nearly a dozen uh, state constitutions. We're hearing that there's a legal filing happening in Florida along these lines uh, that will look to the Alabama case with a determination by the state Supreme Court there that a frozen embryo outside the womb equals uh, a human and uh, bring up uh, related cases in other states. So look out for additional cases related to this uh, with an impact on IVF happening in a few different states. Yeah, one legal analyst that I, I was watching earlier on Thursday had mentioned that what happens is is that states tend to copy each other when it comes to certain laws like this. Yeah. So it wouldn't be surprising even if a state doesn't have something like this on the books or that's that's working through the system that they could decide to create something like this law. Okay, from the Associated Press, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley will face off tomorrow in South Carolina's first in the South Republican presidential primary. It is their first head-to-head matchup for the last two remaining major candidates since the New Hampshire primary a month ago. This contest takes place on Haley's home turf. She was South Carolina's governor for six years before stepping down in 2017 to serve as U.N. ambassador when Trump was elected president. Despite her history, Haley faces strong headwinds in a state where Trump has the support of most of the party establishment. He has held a substantial lead in recent polls and enjoys high popularity among the conservative base. Yeah, when you talk about strong headwinds, Jill, we're talking about 30 percent polling lead. So uh, the question really is tomorrow right now, 
unless there's some huge, huge shocker, which, again, uh, if uh, enough Democrats and independents vote, uh, which she has been getting a lot of support from them, we could see a closer race. The question really is, how much does Trump win by? In South Carolina, where Nikki Haley, born, raised, governor, this is her state, but her state is very much Trump territory these days. There have been some really sharp attacks between the two candidates, but the Trump people basically telling Haley here, your time is done. We're going to have all the delegates locked up within three weeks, probably, maybe as soon as two weeks from now, because Super Tuesday happens uh, on March 3rd. And right now, Trump looks like he might sweep uh, more than a dozen states where a third of the delegates are at stake. The issue for Haley is she just doesn't have enough Republicans voting for her in the Republican primary. And so we've seen her in third place in Iowa, second place in New Hampshire. And then you had Nevada where they didn't even compete head to head. And in the primary, he ran in the caucus, which got him the delegates. In the primary, she lost to none of these candidates as an option. And so she's having trouble getting a majority and figuring out a way to win the Republican nomination, which requires winning states and winning delegates. And so we'll see what happens tomorrow. Uh, She says she's in it to win it. She's going to stay in this race. Obviously, caveats. He has a bunch of legal issues. And so maybe she's hoping for a miracle here. And she's going to stay for as long as she can, which, by the way, is effectively until he locks up the necessary amount of delegates, which, again, could be sometime in the next month if his campaign is to be believed and if you look at the polling numbers. All right. From The Wall Street Journal, the last time Americans spent this much of their money on food, George H.W. Bush was in office. That's the first Bush, everybody. (laughs) Terminator 2 Judgment Day was in theaters and CNC Music Factory was rocking the Billboard charts. Moshe, I think that their most famous song is Everybody Dance Now. (laughs) Yes. And things that make you go. "Mm." And just picture that song with the running man happening. And that's basically where we all were. Okay, so again, we haven't paid percentage wise this much for food as we have since then. Eating continues to cost more, even as overall inflation has eased from the blistering pace that consumers endured through much of 2022 and 2023. Prices at restaurants and other eateries were up about 5.1% last month compared with January of 2023. Grocery costs increased about 1.2% during the same period. And relief is not likely to arrive soon. Restaurant and food company execs say they are still grappling with rising labor costs and some ingredients like cocoa that are getting more expensive. They say consumers will find a way to cope. They would say that, Jill. Yeah, so the CEO of the snack company, Kelanova, said, if you look historically after periods of inflation, there is really no period you could point to where food prices go back down. They tend to be sticky. And most that's something that we've been mentioning here on the podcast when we talk about inflation. Companies are set to pay more for staffing. 22 states in January lifted the minimum wage for hourly workers. In 1991, U.S. consumers spent about 11.4% of their disposable personal income on food. At the time, households were still dealing with steep food price increases following the inflationary period of the 1970s. And Moshe, here we are again. Right. And so more than three decades later, the 90s are back. The early 90s are back. Food spending has reattained that level where about 11% of your disposable income is spent on food. So one out of $10. So for every $10 you make, you know, a few of those dollars go to taxes. Uh, a few of those dollars go to housing and other expenses, and then almost $1.50 uh, of that $10 uh, now goes towards food, whether it's a restaurant eating out or groceries. 
So many diners are now saying that they're going out less frequently or trying to. They're skipping appetizers. They're buying cheaper store brands uh, more frequently at the supermarket. And while the brands say, Jill, that this is all inflation, ultimately, if you look at the numbers here, there are higher profit margins uh, for a number of these brands at the grocery store. So there's shrinkflation, meaning they're giving you less product. And then there's also the fact that they're raising prices above inflation. So there's more profitability there. This is something that has been discussed on Capitol Hill that President Biden is discussing on on how to potentially have ramifications for the companies that are uh, seen as raising prices beyond what they should be. At the same time, we're a free market country, and so you don't typically see much in the way of limitations to the free market in terms of pricing. Ultimately, it's us, the consumer, that has to determine and has to push back on these companies through our buying decisions. Mosh, I know that you posted this story on Instagram, as did I, and I heard from a ton of people. One writing me, I am a faithful podcast listener. Every time you talk about the grocery store, I crack up because I have five kids and it is insane how much we are spending. My kids are 11 and younger. Three of them are boys. It is going to be a rough go in the teen years. Another says it is insane. I shop around several supermarkets to keep things manageable. I'm in California, so everything is crazy expensive. And then another writing, as a mom of four boys who can all eat their own weight, I am feeling this. So clearly, Moshe, I'm not the only one frustrated by this. Um, it's, it's just insane, especially when you have kids. It's a huge issue and certainly factors in to how people feel about the economy, feel about the state of things in the country, that even if you look at the basic numbers, unemployment is at a record low, wages are up in certain places, inflation has gone down from the peak over the last year and a half. But when you see your grocery bill, none of that other stuff matters. All right, some other economic news from Reuters. Sales of new U.S. homes increased strongly in December, boosted by declining mortgage rates and a persistent shortage of previously owned houses on the market. New home sales rebounded about 8% to about 664,000 homes last month, according to the Commerce Department. New home sales are counted at the signing of a contract, which makes them a leading indicator of the housing market. Monthly sales rose in the Northeast, Midwest, and the South, but they did fall in the West. So a lot of this has to do with the fact that the 30-year mortgage has gone down from its more than two-decade high. It was it hit about 7.8% uh, in October. It is now averaging about 6.6%, the 30-year mortgage. Uh, that's the lowest level since last May. And the median price of a home... Uh, is now down to $413,000. That is a 14% decline from the previous December, back in December of 2022. So you have seen some price cuts. You are seeing the 30-year mortgage decline, but also at the same time, supply remains tight. Uh, There aren't enough new homes being built, not enough homes going to the market. Many people still sitting on the fact that they have 2 to 3% 30-year mortgages. And even if they're looking to downsize their home or move, they're reluctant to sell it and then have to you know, go in at a higher 30-year mortgage rate. So this is something we'll continue to monitor for you guys. From CNN, the four-day work week is here to stay at UK companies that tried it. So one year after the conclusion of the world's biggest trial of a four-day work week, a large majority of companies that took part were still allowing their employees to work a shorter week. More than half had actually made the change permanent. So for six months between June and December of 2022, workers at 61 organizations in the United Kingdom worked 80% of their usual hours for the same pay 
in exchange for promising to deliver 100% of their usual work. At least 89% of those firms were still operating the policy, and at least 51% had made the four-day week permanent at the end of 2023. This is according to a report published by one of the organizers of the trial. The study was released by Autonomy, a think tank that ran the 2022 trial with nonprofits focused on four-day work weeks in partnership with researchers from Cambridge and Oxford Universities and Boston College. According to the report, the effects of reduced working hours have been overwhelmingly beneficial for staff and their companies. At the end of the trial, workers reported enjoying better physical and mental health, greater work-life balance and general life satisfaction and less exhaustion from work. And these improvements, they say, have been maintained one year on. Of course, most people would love a four-day work week, but it does not work for everyone or every business. Jill, as you noted, they were working with nonprofits with four-day work week in the title. So not surprising that these groups found success in four-day work weeks and a positive impact here. Though at the same time, you probably don't find it that surprising that People working four days a week who are told to give 100% output uh, despite 80% of the time found a way to do it so they could have a permanent three-day weekend. Though they do have some data here to back themselves up, staff turnover fell at half of the organizations. Almost a third said the policy had noticeably improved recruitment, uh, recruiting for people uh, for jobs. You only have to work four days a week. 82% of them reported beneficial effects on staff well-being. Now, the question is, which industries will this work best for? Close to half of the 61 organizations that uh, participated in this trial work in marketing, advertising, professional services, the nonprofit sector. The remainder uh, spanned uh, construction, manufacturing, retail, healthcare, entertainment. So they're really trying it everywhere, and it remains to be seen where it works better than other places. But this has come as we're all coming off of COVID, work from home. People are trying to figure out hybrid work here. And technology has made it possible uh, to be more efficient or more productive uh, from various locations. So there have been calls for a while now for a shortening of the work week created by our uh, friends at Ford Motor Company and FDR, the 40-hour work week. We're almost 100 years into it at this point, Jill. So uh, maybe it's about time we reconsider this, or at least certain industries reconsider this. So uh, we have a high interest here at the Mo News Podcast in the four-day work week, especially this week. This week was a four-day work week for us. It was a beautiful thing. And I, <laughs> <laughs> Though next week, folks, back to five days. Who do we have to talk to about not having any breaking news on just, say, Friday? Like, what, like how do we arrange the that? The world. All, uh, <laughs> whoever controls the weather and natural disasters and all about nine billion people on the planet, Jill. And Jill, Whoever broke the AT&T cell phone network <laughs> yesterday. And from the New York Post, it was once the epitome of cool, drawing celebs like Taylor Swift, Justin Timberlake, Jessica Biel, Leonardo DiCaprio to hang out by a rooftop pool first endorsed by the ladies of Sex in the City. But Soho House is facing an existential crisis, according to a damning report from a Wall Street firm that is betting that the company's stock price could fall to zero. More than a dozen New Yorkers interviewed by The Post say that the situation is dire. They say the club, which costs more than 5000 bucks a year, is now uncool. One member in New York who works in the fashion industry says, quote, Vibe is off, mostly crowded, and the scene vibe check. <laughs> and the scene feels oddly the opposite of creative. Another source who works in politics suggested late night drinks at the meatpacking location to meet a young woman, 
and said, quote, she is far from a bastion of culture. And even she called it basic. The meatpacking district location was part of Soho House's appeal, but complaints among members now focus on service and the lack of celebrity sightings. So even if you haven't been there, you might have heard of it. Uh, It was featured in Sex and the City so many years ago at this point, Jill. Uh, 20 plus years ago, it it was seen at the cutting edge of cool, but many members feel it has lost its edge, particularly in New York. There have been other private clubs that have come up in the past couple decades here. um, And the Soho House has expanded over time. They ballooned by more than 100,000 members during COVID. So now there's more than 250,000 members of Soho House. So a lot of uh, longtime members feeling it's less exclusive than it was before, not as cool. Uh, there's also a critique that the New York locations are in dire need of uh, renovation uh, and uh, feel old because they are old, whereas the newer locations around the world um, still feel cool. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Jill, I feel like this is what every club, every bar, uh, every restaurant goes through. It's hip until it's not hip. And then the next gen comes up, does the vibe check, and decides <laughs> it's not hip anymore until... It becomes hip because it's retro and then it's hip again. Do I have that sequence right? Well, they're going to have to start getting like old school record players. They're going <laughs> to, they're just going to have to do it. They already have that. They already have that. If you've been to Soho House, they have retro stuff there. <laughs> I love the quotes, just like the vibe is off quotes. And I like that there are people though that are still defending it that say it's great. No, they, they still like going all of that. Yeah. I think the problem is that you hit the nail on the head is that if you accept too many members, Of course, that's a good way to make money, but then it doesn't feel exclusive anymore. It's like the scene from Knocked Up, Jill, where the bouncer wants to let them in the club, but he's like, you too old for the club. (laughs) You old, you pregnant. I can't have some old pregnant women walking around the club. Um, (laughs) If you know the reference, you know the reference. My point is, effectively, Soho House let too many people in the club, and now the people in the club are like, this ain't a cool place anymore because you let too many people in the club. Though I should note, in the story, they note that uh, someone writes, it's domestically dead, but internationally on fire. Uh, and we did hear from some Mo News committee members, I think someone who's in the Hong Kong Soho Club, who's like, no, it's totally cool here. It's New York where the vibe is off. Jill, I know we have Cheers of the Freaking Weekend coming up. I just want to note as we end this speed read that there was a uh, major landing on the moon Thursday, the first time a U.S. craft has landed on the moon since 1972, 52 years ago. The craft is called Odysseus. It's a private craft. It was targeting a crater near the moon's south pole. That's where they believe water ice is located, water ice being key to being able to build a base on the moon and create fuel for rockets, as well as oxygen, of course, and water. You can do a lot with H2O uh, and its various elements. So very exciting news from the Lunar Service, and we'll have more on that next week. Okay, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Mosh, what are you watching? So there's a new series out this week, Jill, on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, it's called The New Look. It takes place during World War II and shows how some of the most famous fashion designers, that's Christian Dior, Coco Chanel, Balenciaga, launched modern fashion amid the chaos of World War II. So always a big fan of uh, history. And this case, dramatized history. So uh, I'm looking forward to watching that. Mosh, I'm really looking forward to your take on this because it's uh, getting some controversial reviews, particularly because of the way it handles Coco Chanel, who was a Nazi sympathizer, like a, a big Nazi sympathizer. And the criticism is that the series just kind of glosses over that and almost makes it like she was forced to do it. 
even though that's just not historically accurate. So I'm curious uh, what you think. We'll do a fact check and a vibe check on the series, Joe. <laughs> vibe you is off, as they say uh, <laughs> at the Soho vibe House. Is off. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I've been still on my presidential movies binge. I watched The Butler, American President, or I should say I rewatched them upon recommendation from many of our listeners. And I actually have never seen Lincoln which was recommended by a lot of people as well. So I have been making my way through that movie. And I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but it has taken me, I think at this point, at least 10 sittings to get through it. I think it's just because I'm so tired at the end of the night. It's not necessarily like easy watching, uh, but I'm almost done with vibe it. Is off. <laughs> is the vibe off? Is the <laughs> it's not the vibe. It's more just the way that they speak. It's not It's not easy watching again. And in much easier viewing, I also want to watch J-Lo's original film on Amazon. It's called This Is Me Now, A Love Story. I've The reviews are all over the place. Some say it's amazing. Some say it's, it's awful. But I happen to love J-Lo, so I want to watch. All right. What are you reading? Okay. I'm reading a piece in The Atlantic. It is a very important essay. It's called Why the Most Educated People in America Fall for Anti-Semitic Lies at Harvard and Elsewhere. An old-fashioned falsehood is capturing minds. It is written by Dara Horn. She wrote the book, People Love Dead Jews. I have read this essay now twice, and I highly, highly recommend it for everybody. Mosh, what are you reading? So the Financial Times has an interesting investigation into Russia's poisoning operation, how Putin poisons his enemies uh, abroad. Obviously, as we've been talking about the death of Navalny, who was previously poisoned uh, by Putin, that has reminded us of that tactic by Russian intelligence. So the FT is telling some of those stories. Okay, Mosh, what are you eating? Jill, here in Cincinnati, I am told that you got to get chili and you got to get Grater's ice cream. So uh, I had myself some Skyline Chili, though I understand there are competitors. Those Ohioans have told me there's some on the Kentucky side of the border, some on the Ohio side of the border. I had uh, Skyline. It was solid, though I have to say it didn't taste as good as I feel remembering it. The last time I was here about 15 years ago and uh, on my way out, plan to get graters, though I know there's a competitor to graters. And so I'll try to hit up both ice cream places to make all you Ohioans uh, happy. Jill, what do you got? So it is my mother's birthday this weekend. And so we are going to be eating good old fashioned birthday cake. Mom, if you are listening, and I know you are because you are an avid listener, just turn this down for like 30 seconds. Um, my daughter and I just went and bought her her birthday cake from this great bakery called Zortoni Bakery in Oyster Bay. And it's really beautiful. And my daughter wanted to tell them what to write on it. <laughs> so my mom is an artist. She's an art teacher. So she had them write happy birthday artist. And so I was like, maybe we could just do like happy birthday grandma artist. Anyway, it's so <laughs> super cute. And um, they also gave my daughter a couple of free cookies, which I thought was really nice. So that is what I'm eating this weekend. Enjoy it. And uh, wishing one of our most important listeners a happy birthday this weekend. And also a happy birthday to Lauren James, who works with us at Mo News and helps to write the newsletter. So Lauren, I hope you have a wonderful birthday as well. And to everybody else, thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Thanks for listening this week, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.